Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 128. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Hey, before we start with the interview, I wanted to ask you, are you looking for a leadership coach? Have you ever thought about leadership coaching? Here's your chance. I'm offering free 15-minute consultations um, if you're interested you can send me an email at richard at doseofleadership.com and just put in the subject line coaching and uh, we'll set up a free 15-minute engagement to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. I specialize in helping um, especially business owners and executives, but it can be any type of individual, any type of professional, any, any of you out there who are searching for greater significance, confidence, and leadership accountability in all aspects of your lives. I think some of the biggest problems that I see that people are facing out there are stagnation and mediocrity in their personal and professional life. We're all searching for greater significance, a limiting self-belief, a self-image, and a lack of confidence that's preventing us from living out our convictions. Again, a free 15-minute consultation. Just send me an email with your info, and in the subject line, put uh, coaching. And uh, again, it's at richard at doseofleadership.com. Again, thanks for tuning in, and here's the interview. Well, I'm so thrilled today to have Chris Brogan on the show. He's the publisher of Owner Magazine. It's a business magazine that's helping people improve their worth by growing their capabilities and connections. He is the CEO and president of Human Business Works, a publishing and media company. He's a sought-after keynote speaker. He's addressed uh, hundreds of crowds, thousands of crowds. He's been on the Dr. Phil Show and once presented to a princess. I need to ask him about that. Chris has consulted with companies that we all know, like Disney, Microsoft, Coke, Titleist, PepsiCo, Google, Motorola, and many more. Many more. He's the New York Times bestselling author of six books and counting, including The Impact Equation. And he lives in Northern Massachusetts, where he frequently plays Minecraft with the kids. I can definitely relate with that. My kids are Minecraft nuts. Chris, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thrilled, Richard. Thanks for having me here. Man, it's been. I've been so excited to talk to you for a long time. You know, and you're you're known as a social media guy, and um, you're you know people that watch this and are familiar with the web are going to know exactly who you are. Now, maybe some of my audience may not know. It tends to be a little bit older sometimes. But what I love about you is your love affair with the human being. And I think that uh, human beings and communication in general. And so I really want to talk about leadership today. What makes you tick? How does it all start for you? And why is leadership so important to you? Uh, well, you know, to me, I guess I've always thought of leadership as one of those embedded traits, and maybe that comes from being somebody who uh, always wanted to lead right from my desk. I always wanted to be the CEO of my cubicle, maybe. So, I, you know, perhaps I had a little bit of that um, not being a good follower when I started in business and all that. Right. And so what I found, though, you know, coming up and doing the kind of work I do, and especially now this, this owner magazine silliness that I'm doing, I find that there's just so many people who are just a, a lot too enamored with uh, waiting for the boss to give them instructions. Right. And so I'm a big fan of what I think of as embedded leadership. I'm a big fan of empowering everybody on every little piece of the rung to know just how much they can give and all that and just how much value there is to that because, I mean, just things get done faster that way. You know, it's uh, to use sort of a connection to warfare warfare used to be you know let's wait for the admirals to tell us what to do and now it's really you know small unit 
kind of maneuvering and you know the world can't wait around for everybody to wait for an admiral these days so a long time I, I think that's how business works too I think we can't wait for the admirals of business and leadership has to really happen at every field and at every level so when you started out and did you kind of intentionally say yes I am a leader or as as you kind of developed and you've gotten um, wow Everything, everything Sorry. Okay Hello, New York. <laughs> That's right. So as you got more involved with your businesses and became more entrepreneurial, did you always consider yourself a leader or did leadership kind of sneak up and, and grab you and you kind of figured out as you got more success, especially as you came to the more CEO level that like, I need to learn more about leadership? You know, I, it almost sounds a little arrogant to say it came natural or something, but that's you know because that's not really true either. But let me say it a slightly less uh, aggrandizing way. I mean, all the way from early Boy Scouts, I had it in my head that I should be the leader, uh, which I would say is the opposite of sounding aggrandizing. It, it's it's what it really is, which is I was cocky, I was arrogant, I was all of those things you are when you're a fresh leader. You know, fresh right. leaders uh, before they get a little dent in the paint. Uh, they're the ones who uh, know, know, you know, they know everything. Nobody else has a clue, and it's my way. I've got this whole thing figured out. Uh, I would say that what did not come naturally that was much better for me was learning Robert Greenleaf's model, uh, servant leadership, mm. and understanding what it meant to serve and, and be a leader through service. And I think that uh, it took me a while to grow up and realize how intelligent everybody else in the room was. Yeah. And, you know, that didn't mean that I ever thought that I really had it figured out, but I just thought, if I'm a leader, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, a lot of times people think leadership is about charisma. I mean, obviously you have your own style of charisma. You're charismatic when you see it on the stage. You're definitely your your authentic self. How important do you think? I think a lot of people miss the boat about leadership. They think they have to be this larger-than-life figure. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I'm a bigger fan of integrity than charisma. Yeah. And People throw the word around sort of making it a little sacrosanct, a little more religious than it needs to be. Integrity just means I really am what I say I am all yeah. the time. You could be a bad guy. Just say you're a bad guy. Right. You know, you know, I'm a I'm a lying, cheating stealer. And if you knew that about yourself, you'd have a lot more integrity than someone says, you know, I'm quite honest and they're not. So um, I, I would say that integrity over charisma. I mean, I've met, so I have a, a great bunch of leaders that I grew up with, you know, in my wireless telecom, this wonderful guy, Bill, um, he was, uh, he was so quiet. He was so laid back. You know, I was in a room once and there's 50 or so people introducing themselves and they're all listing their titles and their titles all seem to have like 28 words. And he was a CTO. He was, you know, like third in command of the whole company. And he just said, Bill, technology, and I thought, now that's the way you got to be. You got to be so cool that you don't even have to explain your title to anybody. <laughs> right. And, and that's I, I always wanted that ever since. I mean, my business card for a really long time just said typist, and then my uh, business partner Rob made me put a for after a while CEO and typist. And um, I gave myself a promotion the next business card a couple months ago, and now it says publisher and CEO. So, but you know, I it's a little tricky the leadership thing. If you have to tell someone you're a leader, yeah, you're probably not. That's right. Yeah, I like Margaret Thatcher's quote. I go back on that. It says, if you have to remind somebody yourself that you're a lady, you're probably not a lady. It's the same with leadership too, right? I mean, so, you know, one thing, especially talking to entrepreneurs, and I've followed entrepreneurs for a really long time. I've seen a shift in op entrepreneurs. When I went to an entrepreneurship way back in 1987, and it really was about kind of the flashy, you know, the, the run in the business and, and kind of it was the heyday of the 80s, right? And it was more about, you know, things and stuff. It's There seems to be... 
uh, and maybe I'm just late to the game and, and I'm becoming more aware of it, but there seems to be a, an entrepreneurial revolution that it's happening, especially with the millennial generation. I hate that word. I hate to even kind of typecast people. But what do you think about that? Is there something happening afoot or am I just kind of becoming more aware of it? No, I, I have that feeling. My, my thoughts that the 80s and then the 90s smacked out of us the belief that, you know, big office buildings are the way to go. Right. You know, I remember that if you were ever going to try to represent yourself as a business, even if you were a business of two, there was no book out there that didn't say you should pretend like you have 300 people there. Right. You should, you know, fake names and get a phone system with like 20 numbers, even though there's two of you in the building. And now, uh, you know, small is beautiful. And now <laughs> right. there's this really good opportunity for it to be that, uh, you know, you're a small business and you want to be a small business. And some people want to, you know, have that startup moniker and other people just say smaller business. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more, um, I, I sometimes call it bespoke business, mm -hmm. sort of handcrafted business. I, I'm visiting New York City, which, by the way, is a guy originally from Maine. It always just blows my mind how huge everything is. But, right. you know, you go to a place like uh, in Brooklyn where they're having this crazy revival where like artisan pickle makers exist and things like this. It's a strange world because it's just like 1500s and 1400s cottage industry. It's kind of like I can make pickles. You know, you could just go to Walmart or any grocery store and get pickles to be okay. But this guy evidently has fancy pants pickles and you should consider those. So they're making it, you know, so that people want that sort of thing. And right. if you, I guess if you really love pickles, that's the guy you're going to go with instead of the Vlasic pickle. So, you know, there's a market for it. So to me, it's a... Uh, it's this weird opportunity where if you always wanted to do something and you have a pretty good proclivity for it and you can find enough people who wanted that kind of a thing, this is your time. Yeah, and I think that it seems to me, I like to say authenticity seems to be the new authority in leadership and in entrepreneurship as well. And you're kind of hitting on that point, that authenticity, I think vulnerability too. And, and um, you strike me as that. You're definitely authentic. I sense that you're comfortable and being vulnerable. And what I mean by that, there's great strength in vulnerability, I guess. And, and do you... Do you intentionally think about that or is that just something that you kind of just fell into? Because I think you have to be um, willing to take the mask off and be intentionally vulnerable. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, you know, I was trying to think about the phrasing intentional vulnerability it makes it sound a little more like I'm uh, playing to it. But yeah, more I didn't mean so, that. Yeah. I, I, it's keeping the shield down. Exactly. It's allowing the shield to stay down. Yes, exactly. You know? um, and, and you know what? I do think about it a lot, but only because for so long in my life, everyone told me I was wrong. You know, everyone said, oh, you can't be so thin-skinned or you can't let those kinds of things get to your heart and all these things that just didn't really hold true to what I felt in business, which was that it is personal. You yeah. know, I mean, if I were to relabel right underneath Owner Magazine, it would say business is personal. Uh, but, you know, to me, the whole concept is that, uh, you know, we want to be treated like people again. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think there's anyone out there going, you know what I'd like today? I would like to be absolutely ignored and considered a number, <laughs> right. you know? So I just think uh, if we have our way, this opportunity to be vulnerable, this opportunity to not know everything. I mean, you know, the smartest people I've met are the ones who ask me, what do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, all the biggest people ever, Sir Richard Branson, well, I, well, what did you think about that? I'm thinking, well, I'm interviewing you. I mean, you have an island and I don't. Uh, you're a knight, and uh, <laughs> my guess is you know some things, but right. that's not how he got there. That's how he got the island is because he asked everybody what they thought. You know, what I appreciate about Branson especially, you know, and, and especially if you look at his leadership style and the one thing that he gets, and I talk, and, and it's this idea that he doesn't have to be, um, he doesn't have to be the all-knowing 
answer guy. He puts a lot of emphasis on pushing the decision making uh, to the lowest levels. You know, he comes up with the outcome with the intent. This is what I want to accomplish and why. And then he lets people run with it. That is, seems such common sense, but most people don't do it. I think most people, they look at Branson, they would think he's the opposite, that he's kind of micromanaging everything, but he's not, is he? Not even a little bit. He runs over 400 companies. One of the things he said was that, how could I possibly know any of the details of any of these companies? And, you know, for instance, he has sort of a no-tie policy around the entire Virgin Empire, 400 companies. Virgin Finance pushed back and said, look, Richard, we can't show up to these meetings with no ties. It's like showing up to a soccer game with no ball. You know, we need to look the part here. You've got to let us wear ties. And he said, uh... Okay, but not to company meetings. You have to, you know, when you're back with other virgin people, you've got to take your ties back off. And they said, okay. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of value to that. And to me, I mean, the, the, there's something to be said about that too. You know, this concept of, you know, we used to think we had to micromanage. And really, if you manage to outcomes, it's always better. And especially in this distributed world. I mean, if we're all over the map, how could we possibly, you know, worry about uh, managing button chair time? Right. And that's really how a lot of managers came up is, you know, I don't see you at your desk, but I always think there's a Dilbert cartoon from maybe 15 or more years ago now that says, how did we ever look like we were doing something important before computers? Right. right. You know, entrepreneurship and, and leadership seem to be, you know, intertwined and, and linked, you know, and that when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily consider themselves leaders. I, a lot of and just because you're a great entrepreneur doesn't mean you're a great leader. I mean, I think that yeah. that that's a note. But I think there are a lot of great entrepreneurs who possess a lot of great leadership traits, but they don't know that they're kind of exhibit, exhibiting them. What we kind of highlighted with Branson, I think, is a, a perfect example of entrepreneurship and leadership at work. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think um, do you think you can be a successful entrepreneur and not be a great leader? You know, I think that's true. I, I would say that entrepreneurs are great, you know, taking great risks and risks mm-hmm. can hurt people. And you can choose something that is going to knock the, your whole team off into the woods. And, you know, I have my own examples of that. I mean, uh, when I started out, I, everything was going great guns. I hired about 10 people. And then almost a year later, everything was still going fine. And then another half year later, I couldn't afford to keep all those people because mm-hmm. the work just wasn't coming in as fast as I had anticipated. Or I wasn't as good a salesman. You know, it was my duty. It was my problem. And as a leader, I own all of that. And having to go to somebody who's doing a really great job and let them go and just say, it's, I, I just don't have the money to pay you. I right. love you. I'm setting you free. Uh, you only need to feel that one really deeply once to realize that maybe there's a big gap between being a good entrepreneur and a good leader. And I, I think I actually had pretty good leadership skills. In that case, what I didn't have was, you know, uh, or I had great people leadership skills. I didn't have the um, marrying my entrepreneurship to how to actually lead the entity of right. the corporation. Right. I think a lot of times it was – and I know I thought about this an entrepreneur that you needed to kind of be this larger than life figure to be an entrepreneur. Most, a lot of successful entrepreneurs certainly are. But I think uh, if if the ego isn't backed up with uh, like an authenticity, I think we're talking about, it's not sustainable in my opinion. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I have struggle with that word authenticity. You've brought it up about four times and every time I sort of deflect it and say, uh, you know, or this other word. Uh, the, only because I think that the word gets misunderstood so much. I, I, I'm pretty sure you're using it in the way that we most would want to have it uh, taken in. But I would say that the uh, the challenge is that a lot of people think it's almost like a, a prop or a pose or a stance yeah. or whatever. And, and, and that would be the actual antithesis, it's antithesis right. of authenticity. But, you know, I would say that, yeah, it's, it's really – 
you have to be who you are. Mm -hmm. And the fellas who have really succeeded, the ladies who have succeeded, who have made the world just an amazing place, not one of them was a copy. Right. You know, not one of them said, you know, I figured this all out by saying I want to be just like and then named a person. Right. Well, you hit it exactly on the head, and you're right. I think the reason why I bring it up is is not because I, I guess I just reflect on my own experience where in the beginning I thought I, I to be a leader, to be whatever, I had to be this way. And it really didn't start clicking until I said, look, this is how I am. I'm just going to be who I am. And so the intentional authenticity, like you said earlier, it's not – to, to prop it up, to look how authentic I am, it's to like, okay, let's take the stupid masks off and stop trying to be somebody that you're not and just be completely human and real. And um, it sounds easier than it is. You know, being that type of authentic, being that type of, uh, or, or exhibiting that type of authenticity isn't as easy as it sounds, I guess. For me, it wasn't anyway. Sure. Because well, I mean, heck, you know, you, you served in the Marine Corps. There was not a lot of, uh, your leadership never said, I love it when you say I don't know. You know what I mean? Right. You had no sergeant anywhere up in that chain that said, I love it when you say, I have no idea, sir. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so you're used to trying to have to own everything around you. And, you know, I again, I teach ownership. That's what I think is the best business model is that everyone mm -hmm. has a sense of ownership. But it's okay to not know. And mm -hmm. that's another challenge, too. And I, I just had a conversation with a contractor who was doing work for me that I said, you know, what might have helped us all in this whole scenario is if you'd said, I just went way over my head. And what you did was think, here I am serving my customer, and I'm just going to figure it out. I said, I get it. I love figuring things out. <clears throat> Only this was the hit the, you know, the crash the car because you actually didn't know how to drive. Figure it out. Yeah. That didn't serve either of us. So that's how it goes to me. Well, I think that you know that having the 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 courage and the willingness to say, look, guys, I don't know. Uh, but I know we're going to, you know, th this situation happened. This is tough. I don't know how we're going to get through it, but I know we're going to get through it. Having that kind of couple that with that confidence of suspending the belief of how it's going to get done. You just know it's going to get done. I think is very powerful. You know, that's kind of that combination of that authenticity, vulnerability, confidence that people are looking for in a leader, I think. And, um, and the only way you can do that, I think is again, you just got to kind of at times bear your soul or at least be up there and, and just say, I don't know how we're going to do it, but you got to have that that tenacity. I think that has to be an innate part. I don't know how you teach tenacity. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if that's a that's a born trade or a learned trade or not. But I think if you have that tenacity and that uh, that mindset confidence that you can succeed, uh, I think it's a winning combination, in my opinion. I, I agree, and, and uh, you know, it just dawned on me. I mean, it's your interview, not mine, but. How did you come to this? I mean, given your upbringing, mm. given where you're from, the fact you fly airplanes, I mean, none of the things that you seem to have done uh, strike me as that someone said to you, you know, Richard, what would be great is if you could really just be you right now. You know, that's a great question. I think that, um, I, I don't know, I think it's just, you know, kind of falling on your face and and, and trying to, I, perfect examples, when I got off of uh, in the officer candidate school and, you know, hit the tarmac and... The guy's yelling in my face, this, the sergeant instructor, and he says, boy, you better start getting some command presence because you have none. I remember that was the first thing he was yelling in my face. He says, you have no command presence. You're weak. You're, why are you even in my Marine Corps? And I was just like, yeah, I got to have command presence. Command presence, that means, you know, in the, in the, in the term command presence evoked six foot four, booming bore, square jaw, John Wayne, walk in a room and people are going to follow you through the gates of hell. And I didn't have any of that, you know, so I started, I had to act that part. But it was, I mean, maybe six, seven months into it, and I came, and I'm actually interviewing this guy. I've been trying to get him for so long in a couple of weeks, a General Peter Pace, and he was a colonel at the time. 
the guy's five foot eight, or I mean, he's he's tall, but he's skinny. He doesn't weigh, but you know, one hundred and fifty pounds, skinny, talks real quiet, and he was sitting there, and, and and he had a presence about him. Even he wasn't booming, he wasn't yelling, he wasn't the stereotypical what I had in my head about what a marine should be. And he started talking about his men in Vietnam when he was a young platoon. And he started tearing up, he started choking, and he bared his soul. But he had that confidence that I mean he was it wasn't like he was weak. He was in fact he got stronger when he was doing that. Because at the end of the day, it's all leadership to me is all about love. And uh, that's what I learned from the Marine Corps. So that was kind of the beginning of me kind of stripping it away and saying, look, you don't have to be John Wayne to be a great Marine or a great leader in that opinion. And, and um, so I, that started it. But again, even then I failed along the way in, in the corporate arena. I was the guy that, you know, great accolades at work, but I wasn't the same guy at home. You know, I'd, I'd check out and I'd check out from, you know, not be the, the, the good father or the good husband. And so that really brought it home for me when almost getting divorced and kind of falling splat in the face. And look, you got to be the same guy in all aspects of your life. And that's really when leadership started kind of clicking for me anyway yeah well i guess that's really how it integrates and uh what a great story too because you know when you talk about command presence i thought of the uh, the actor but also former drill instructor arlie oh, arlie Emery, yeah yeah you know and it's it's a dichotomy because to be confident i think even being a business owner and entrepreneur like if things are like and you know this as being a ceo i could imagine when when man things aren't lining up and things it's a it's a valley it's things are bad you, like you said you might have to lay people off you know, you can't go in there. It's kind of like I kind of equate it flying a plane. If an engine's on fire, I can't do what I feel inside. So there's a little bit of acting involved. I can't scream, oh, my God, we're going to crash because that wouldn't do any any good. So you take a look at like Sully Sullenberger when he landed on the Hudson, right? And everyone, oh, he was just calm, cool, collected. He was just, this, you know, nerves of steel, ice cold. He just cool, calm, collect. But then you talk to him. He says, I was petrified. Worst feeling I've ever had in my life. I thought of, you know, falling through the floor, pit of the stomach, worst feeling I had in my life. He was scared. So you got to act. You have to compartmentalize. Does that mean, does that mean you're not authentic? No. I think, you know, you just, you got to dig down deep and bring out that, that authentic, courageous self. So anyway, I'm talking too much here, but no, it was good because I was thinking while you were saying that, I was saying I was in telecom for a while, and one of my long-standing jokes is if you ever let uh, software engineers fly a plane, they would say about <laughs> once every you know, few minutes, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to crash. <laughs> oh, no, never mind. Right. It's okay. Right. That's the would you like more water button. I get it now. <laughs> you know, like They're always the ones that tell you we're going to die, and I always just thought that you know I'm pretty pleased that – Pilots take quite a while before they decide they're going to communicate that there may be a challenge. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. You know, one thing I heard you say one time, um, and it was in a Google Hangout, and we were, and of course, I'm sure you get tons of questions. Everybody asks you, well, how do you do it? How do you get the startup? How do you get the hustle going? How do you make the money? All these things. And one thing that you struck that said to me, you said, look, it's really about, and I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but you said some of these things like, I, the secret sauce is, adding value to other people and help them just help them find a pain point find a problem and solve it for them and it sounds so elegant and simple but that really is the secret sauce isn't it no question i'll, I'll give you a really basic real life example uh, this really wonderful guy whose name is Victor uh, was a house cleaner kind of guy, and I needed help because I'm a guy, and that's not my my stand my strong point and i and I don't live with a woman so i um I had this scenario where I had to get him in to clean my house, and so we agreed on a price and all that. And while he's there, he notices this little box of Ikea sitting there up against the wall that has been sitting there forever. 
uh, so it's got spider webs on it because I don't know how to assemble this stuff. I just keep buying it thinking it may one day be like a transformer and assemble itself. <laughs> and he says to me, hey, would you like some help putting that together? And I said, oh, yeah. So I paid him for that. He goes, hey, did you need these walls painted? I said, sure. You know, Victor found so many jobs that he picked up like another thousand bucks or so, like over a couple of weeks time. And he was always he was telling me I mean, he could barely speak much English. And I, you know, I'm pathetic at Spanish, but I try. We were talking about the fact that a lot of his friends always say they don't have any money. They don't have any work. And Victor said, I have more work than I know what to do with. And all I do is I walk around asking people, do they need anything? And to me, that's. That's what's missing, yeah. and that's what that's what's the big opportunity is that we could all do that. Anybody who's looking for work or looking for money, you know, help people and help people who need some help that you know how to do. I mean, there's so much stuff that other people know how to do that they think isn't important or that they right. think isn't really going to help somebody out, and that's that's what all the work is made of. Work is made out of doing something for somebody else who maybe just doesn't have the time. I pay a nice lady to do my laundry. I know how to do my laundry. I just for the dollar a pound I pay her. I can try to go make 500 an hour doing something else. Right. Seems like a decent, you know, Trade shift off. of dollars, right? Yeah, right. So, I mean, to me, that's the, that's a big opportunity. Well, and I think it's at the key. And that's why I kind of see that, that relationship with leadership and entrepreneurship, like you said, because a lot of people say, well, how do you gain influence? How do I become, even though I don't have the position or title of a leader, which you don't even need to be a great leader, you, how do you do it? And then I always tell them, well, it's all about, Adding value to other people. That's how you gain influence as a leader is what can I do to add value to this person? And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's the same with entrepreneurship or any kind of side hustle is what is the pain point and, and uh, how can I solve it? You know, Mac, Dane Maxwell talks about that a lot, obviously, in the foundation. You know, he talks about that piece. You know, it's, it's about finding the pain point, you know, and, and that's how he claims he's, you know, created his uh, software um, companies, right? I mean, by doing that exact same thing. You know, it doesn't have to hurt even a lot either. I right. mean, it's amazing how many people think they have to be amazing. And, you know, I went to school with a fella, you know, in high school who he was a garbage man. And we were, I went to kind of a fancy high school. I came down from Maine and landed in this town where everybody was kind of new rich except for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so everybody was looking down on this kid. That kid showed up to school like the last month of school in a brand new BMW that he bought cash. Wow. Uh, being a garbage man because it turns out that's pretty good money uh, to lift those barrels. And so, you know, his only innovation was he found a few ways to get more routes and do it faster than anybody else. And so he kept picking up more money. And, um, you know, you just don't have to be amazing. You just have to be okay and pretty good and reasonably reliable. Right. Life's going to, life's going to come to you. You just got to, you got to hustle to do the work. You know, when people are worried about the hustle, mm -hmm. they're, they're typing a lot about it. You know, get out and knock on some doors, yeah. ring some phones. That's a you great know? point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I I agree with you. I think sometimes you just have to be good enough, and you just have to do it. You know, act. There's so much more to, to action than maybe talking about the action. I mean, I think we're all guilty of talking about it some some somewhat. But I find more of like, okay, it's good enough. Let's just go. But uh, I don't know. Some people, I think we use perfection. I think we use those are kind of excuses, don't you? What do you think? Sometimes being perfect is an excuse. Uh, no question. No question. It's it's to me. It's a uh, it's this thing where. I don't know. We're always looking for some reason not to go. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of hurry up and waits in our life. And there's like, well, if I only had this, if only yeah. is one of those things like should means wouldn't. You know, you have that friend. Oh, I really should get back to the gym. Should means I have no intention of going back to the gym. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I feel guilty because I'm looking at your abs. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so uh, with a lot of times, there's just so much that we, we if only, I, you know, 
I've only had to fire two people ever. One was, you know, he made a racial statement and there was really kind of nothing else I could do there. The other guy, I, f- I fired him because he was sitting at his desk waiting for his business cards before he could go be a salesman. Oh, boy. And I said, I'm sorry, does any piece of cardboard in the world qualify you to not go out and make us some money? Because all you have to do is go out and sell. I could do that with a napkin. Do you need a card? I'm sorry. You've got to go home. I can't work with you. Wow. And that was the end of that. I mean, he hadn't even worked there a couple of days, obviously, because he didn't have his card. Wow. So, you know. Well, I love that. Talk to me about Owner Magazine. I love the content on there. I love, um, I, you know, I'm a subscriber myself, and I love you know, poking around there. Talk to me about the genesis of it and what you're trying to do with it. You know, it's ridiculous because I have such a great opportunity. I get to work with guys like Bob Berg, who wrote The Go-Giver, which is one of the most famous sales books in the world. Uh, Anthony Anarino, who's another really good sales type guy. Um, Joel Lebava, who's the franchise king, who knows all this cool stuff about franchising. Lots of people. Marsha Collier, who sold millions of books. Millions. She has me so kicked on book sales. And she's such a smart lady. And, uh, you know, it's amazing so many people don't know her. But she, um, she just kicks butt. And I've got like 25 of these kinds of folks. And we talk about business. We decided to make a business magazine that was more how-to mm-hmm. instead of who. Because I don't know about you, but every time I read a, you know, a profile of Marissa Mayer of Yahoo, I don't go, huh, now that's how I'll do my business better. <laughs> right, great point. I, I, I can't connect it. Yeah. You know, maybe if I wore the right hoodie, I could be Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> right. You know, it just doesn't connect to me. So I just have to go and figure out other ways to do that. And we figured, let's write some how-to stuff. So we have that going. The other thing is we just launched, uh, my girlfriend Jacqueline uh, just launched a sister magazine with me called Boss Fit, which is business and health for busy professionals. And I'm, I'm really proud of that too because it's this whole concept of that, you know, it's not just fitness it's fitness for busy professionals because for some reason entrepreneurs and leaders have a lot of reasons why they can't you know get back out there and run a few miles right well it's great stuff and uh, i love your stuff i love um your you you know i'm I'm a mentor from your from afar I, i i admire your work so it's been a great thrill to have you come on here what advice would you give maybe someone who's kind of stuck in the middle thinking yeah i don't have the position i don't have the title i'm stuck in a job that i don't like um what's your best advice for them Work. Do the work. That guy, Victor, didn't have a title as far as I can tell. He was known as the guy who did stuff and made money from me. Um, this really nice lady named Danielle who uh, you know, serves food every now and again at this restaurant right by my house uh, became the person who started selling my stuff on eBay and making a 50% cut. And so she's already pulled in like 2,000 of stuff that she sold for me off eBay. And she didn't have a title. Um, you can look for excuses all day. The people who are making the money, the people that you admire, went out and found a way to make business happen. Yeah. It's that tenacity. It's just to go out and do it and, and uh, just start doing something, right? I mean, that's really what it's all about. If a little kid with a lemonade stand doesn't need a title, you don't need a title. Exactly. Chris, sage advice. Thanks for coming on the show. How can people find you, get in touch with you? I mean, you're pretty, you're all over the place, but is there anything specific you want people to go find you, especially maybe someone that's uh, listening to my show who's never heard of you before? Well, I would love that. You know, just swing by ownermag.com, click on that new here button up at the top, and you'll get a chance to get the story behind the story and figure out who the heck you've been listening to. Perfect. I'll have links to all this on the post. And, gosh, Chris, what an honor. Thanks for coming on the show. My uh, utter pleasure. And uh, I look forward to maybe collabor- collaborating with you in the future on something. So thanks for coming on. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, 
consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.